Pete McCall, and welcome to episode 34 of All About Fitness. Today is a very special episode for me, um, not only because I think I'm getting a little bit better at this podcasting thing, but because I have the opportunity to sit down and talk with one of the people who have the most respect for in our industry. Coach Mike Boyle has been a strength coach for more than 30 years. He has helped the Boston University hockey team win the NCAA National Championship. He has trained numerous professional athletes. And more importantly, he has helped numerous, probably thousands of people just get in better shape. On today's episode of All About Fitness, we actually start with a discussion about youth training. And if you have kids who play sports or if you have kids who are going to play sports, I really want you to pay attention to what Mike and I have to say about youth training because there's a lot that's being done wrong in today's world of youth sports and youth sports preparation. Mike should know. Mike is one of the top experts probably in the world in strength conditioning. So what we have to say about youth sports and how your kids should be training for their favorite sport or how you can help your kid to be successful in sports, that's something I really want you to pay attention to. Another thing that was really cool in talking with Mike, and and now I have to be honest, I've been uh, studying Mike, I've read his books, I've I've attended numerous lectures over the years, so I have patterned some of how I think. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, and Mike has had a tremendous influence on on my career, and uh, so it was really an honor to sit down with him. But one of the things that really made me feel good was that he mentioned one of the best books that you can buy. If you're interested in, in what you can do better about fitness, yeah, Mike has a couple books, and I'm going to have uh, links to those down in, in the show notes below, because I really recommend If you really want to learn about training, Mike is phenomenal at that. But if you just want like a program that you can follow relatively easy with minimal equipment, then Mark's, Mark Verstegen, a guy by the name of Mark Verstegen, who started the company Athletes Performance, which is now known as Exos, Mark Verstegen wrote a book back in 2005 called Core Performance. And now, the reason why I mention that is back in 05 and 06, before I got an education full-time and I was still personal training, I would buy Core Performance for my clients. Because what I wanted to do was use that book to teach my clients how to exercise. I wasn't just interested in giving my clients a workout. I wanted them to teach them what they should be doing, what they could be doing on their own when I'm not with them in order to move better. So today in All About Fitness, strength coach Mike Bullen and I discuss why we should be looking at exercise as a function of movement. We talk about why you should be training like an athlete. I don't care whether you're a computer programmer, a mom, a grandparent, retired, a construction worker, but you should be training like an athlete. Mike has trained some of the top athletes in the world. He's trained some of the top athletes in their sports. He has rings on his finger. He's helped guys get seven, eight-figure contracts. I think you should really listen to what he has to say about how and why you should be training a little bit differently than you might be right now. A brief word from our sponsors, and then we'll get into the conversation with strength coach Mike Boyle. Thanks for tuning in. Skills is a sponsor of All About Fitness. Skills makes products for all phases of the workout, from warm-up to speed, agility, strength, and most importantly, recovery. No matter what your fitness goal, Skills has a product to meet your need. Use code PM30 for a 30% discount on your order. Skills, fitness and performance products. Be ready. www.sklz.com Vicor Fitness is the maker of the new TerraCore, which is a step, bench, balance trainer, and multifaceted exercise tool combined into one single platform. Go to vicorefitness.com to see the newest piece of equipment that will be taking the fitness industry by storm in 2017. Use the code AAF to save 20% on purchasing a TerraCore of your own. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Vicor Fitness. Better results from better products. Active Motion Bar is the first resistance training bar where 30% of the weight is a moving mass. An active motion bar can help you strengthen your fascia and elastic connective tissue as well as your muscle, which is important for staying injury-free during the aging process. Research has found that exercising with an active motion bar can be up to 170% more effective than using traditional weighted bars. Active Motion Bar. Let the resistance move you. www.activemotionbar.com 
I'm here today with Mike Boyle, the head uh, the head conditioning coach, I guess the owner of Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, and author of a number of books. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, man, I'm, hey, I'm in San Diego. I can't complain at all. Hey, can you give us a I little... Put sweatshirt on, though. Come on. What's I can that? see it. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I can see your hooded sweatshirt. You should. I should have a hooded sweatshirt on, which I do, but you shouldn't. Well, you know, I, and that's the thing. After you live in Southern California, Mike, as soon as the temperature drops below sixty, you feel like you're in, in the in the great frozen tundra. <laughs> so yeah, you, you you wear a sweatshirt in the morning, and the evening, but but between about noon and and five, you tend to ditch it. Um, the question I, that I have. So, look, can I to start off with to give a little bit about your background? What do you what is it that you do at, at my boy, Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, and kind of what do you consider your specialty specialty um, to be? I do as little as I can get away with actually at this point. So that that's my that's my my basic goal at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning is to make myself entirely obsolete so that nobody needs me anymore. Uh, but uh, all kidding aside, what I really do now, I probably more time than anything is I try to train our trainers, train our coaches, and spend time with them because I realize that. For us to experience the kind of business growth that we want, it's not about me training people as much as it is about me training the people who are going to train the people. So I still have groups. I still have actually a couple of personal training clients. I have some small group stuff right now. I have some baseball pitchers, major league guys that I'm training in the offseason. I have some women on our women's Olympic team in ice hockey that I'm training, but I tell about it. I train my kids, but I do more of what I want to do at this stage of the game, and I, I don't have any real direct business responsibilities except for really but the big responsibility for me is running the weekly staff meetings and handling the education side of things trying to handle we have a book club where we're trying to teach our or get our, get the right reading material into our trainers and coaches hands so those are sort of my my and, job at least in the facility and and how long have you been how long have you been a strength coach because and i want to i'll talk about this first before we go because i think it's interesting when people hear about the evolution of what strength and conditioning is how long have you been working as a strength coach i have been working as a strength coach for 35 years i'm 57 years old and i probably started at boston university i believe i was 22 when i first started so i'm in that first group of guys who are kind of finally aging out of the profession. Well, and I think that's important for people to realize because in the seventies, um, in the seventies and early eighties, was there much of an emphasis on strength and conditioning in college or pro sports? There were there were none. I didn't know anyone when I went graduated from college. I graduated in nineteen eighty one. I started in nineteen seventy seven. I graduated in nineteen eighty one, and at that time, two of my they weren't even my classmates. They were grad students. Got jobs as strength and conditioning coaches and i remember thinking this was 1980 80 maybe 79 thinking oh my god someone actually got a job they're getting paid to do this and they were both part-time jobs but one of them ended up being rusty jones who was one of the longest tenured guys in the nfl was with the uh buffalo bills and the bears for for probably upwards of 20 years maybe close to 25 years in the nfl and the other is mike Wojcik, who's still active in the nfl mike has more Mike has a distinction of having the most Super Bowl rings of anyone in the NFL. Uh, someone of the Patriots may be approaching him, but he got a couple with the Patriots and a couple with Dallas. He has six total rings, which is more than any player. And those guys were at Springfield College at that time, but they got Mike got a part-time job coaching track and strength and conditioning at Syracuse, and Rusty got a job in the USFL. So this is showing you how long ago it was with the <laughs> Pittsburgh Maulers. And he was working for the Pittsburgh Maulers and the Pittsburgh Penguins at the same time because they were both owned, I think, at that time by the uh, – I think it was the Bartolos. They were on the 49ers, I think, then owned those teams. And, and I think people – I think that's a surprise to people because in the 70s and 80s, it was actually not many athletes trained all, all year long. Is that correct? Would that be accurate? That would be accurate. Yep. I think there was still – I mean I can tell you when I was working even – I worked for the Boston Bruins from 91 to 99. And we had players in the early 90s who would come to camp who hadn't trained at all. Older veteran players who went home and fished and hunted up in Canada and didn't do any training at all. Didn't lift weights, didn't run. They just came back. And at that time, there was still some old timers who were using you know, training camps, time to get in shape. That's why they have training camp. So it was very different. It's When you think of the change now in terms of there were no kids training. Professional athletes were just beginning to train, I would say, 
a few years before Boyd Epley had just actually started the NSCA. He was actually a track athlete at Nebraska who they recruited to start working with some of their football players, teaching them in the weight room. It was uh, it was very it was an interesting time in terms of strength coaches were basically selected based on the fact that they liked to lift weights. So if you were the guy on the staff who liked to lift weights, you then became the strength coach. And and just for people for listeners, NSCA is a National Strength and Conditioning Association. That's a governing body of all the strength coaches. And I think that's what because you do a lot of youth programming at your studio. Is that correct? Uh yes we. We started out almost doing exclusively athletes, so probably from, at that time, 14 up through the pro level. And then we've since expanded heavily. Now we're about 50-50 in terms of 50% adults, 50% youth sports stuff. But I, but the, the, the point I often make with a lot of people, and, and people are surprised when they hear this, Mike, is, and to have you, you know, give your – since you've seen this firsthand, would you say that, that high school kids today are getting better um, conditioning or better um, facilities and overall preparation than pro-level players were 20, 25 years ago? Oh, without question. I'm, and, and so how is that, how's that impacted youth sports? How do you think that's impact, that impacted youth sports? Entirely negatively. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you mean by that? I, I, that's, exactly, that's a great point, but what do you mean by that? Because I think people have – it's sort of – I have a slide of uh, in my presentations that I use all the time basically of a, a horse pushing a cart. And I think sometimes that's the situation that we're in in terms of we get the cart way ahead of the horse and – I think it's great that there are facilities. I think it's great that there are strength coaches in high school, but I think that we've got a very slippery slope now with the, all the early specialization stuff and getting kids started. I just was looking at on my strengthcoach.com website and a guy talking about, you know, programming for eight to 11 year old tennis players and <laughs> should they be deadlifting? And, you know, and this is the stuff. So we've sort of professionalized youth sports and, and we're not alone. I was over in Europe at um, talking to a European soccer club, and they're actually recruiting eight and nine-year-olds for their academies in the European soccer academies. So I, I looked at them and I said, wow. I said, I thought we had really screwed up youth sports, but you guys are ahead of us. I said, you've actually <laughs> – You've really managed to over-professionalize this. And, and I think and – because I, 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 you, you and I probably agree on this, and, and obviously I've, I've learned a lot from you over the years. But I think between 8 and 11 years old, the goal should be playing as many sports as possible, not necessarily focusing on any one sport. Would you, would you agree with that? It's the primary parental mistake. And again, I talk about this all the time, and we're, we're probably uh, in the wrong – Actually, in some ways, you said you're the over 35 crowd, so we're talking about their kids, which actually makes sense. Yeah, but exactly. That's why I want to go. That's why I'm hitting on it. Yeah. Parents is the parent thinks for them to be good at something, they need to concentrate. You wouldn't find someone that says, "Well, you know, I, I'm a really, you know, I want to be a really good lawyer, so I'm going to study a little medicine." That wouldn't really help. But with a kid, it's the opposite. That that what I guess we would call physical literacy is really important. You need a kid. It's critically important that you get a kid who can run and can jump and can catch and can kick. And, you know, I always tell everybody, like, they should be able to swim and paddle a canoe and ride a bike and climb a tree. And there's a whole bunch of skills that they need to have before you worry about slap shot or before you worry about pitching or before you worry about any of those things. If you, if you lack the basic federal physical literacy, it will probably narrow the peak of your pyramid because I think obviously you've got all these parents who they, they want their kid to get a scholarship. That's what they're all thinking about. Oh, my kid's going to be a great player, going to get a scholarship. But they think that the, the way to do that is to select a sport and specialize because, again, parents, maybe they read outliers. Maybe they read the 10,000-hour thing. There's all these things, and they look at when they see little athletes succeeding, they're specialists. Because maybe they're gymnasts or they're figure skaters and then they sort of think, oh, that can apply to football, that can apply to hockey. And those things don't apply to sports that aren't size limited. Well, and it's totally I, different. But you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, my audience really is is a general fitness consumer over 40. But those are also the people with the kids that are, you know, 9, 10, 12 in, in you know, coming into their junior high school years. And, and from what I've seen in health clubs, 
adults that are fit are really good at focusing on, I'm only going to do cycling. I'm only going to do bar. I'm only going to do, you know, one type of weightlifting or, or type of training. And I think they take their limited knowledge and apply it to their kids. So with, with somebody like you on, on, um, you know, with your time, I want to kind of be able to emphasize that point to, to parents that the best thing you can do for your kids, especially if they're under 12 or 13 years old is get them involved in many sports as possible. I mean, do you, do you, do parents do you see that changing at all with parents do you see parents now kind of backing down it's going it's moving negatively as opposed to positively i just had a conversation with a mom yesterday about that with her son and she said oh i've heard you talk a couple times about you know the dangers of specialization i said yeah because it's wrong it won't work the bad part see my whole thing is that people can look at it and say well you know all it works in brazil it works in brazil because they got one sport so you, it's not a situation where you're worried about is your kid, you know, either your kid's going to be a soccer player or he's not. But it, it doesn't, when you really look across the broad spectrum of things, it's not working. But what we like to do in America is we like to glorify the outliers. So we'll glorify Tiger Woods or Sharapova or somebody who, you know, got holed up in some academy when they were eight years old and then popped out on the other end as an elite level player, as opposed to looking at all of the guys in the NFL or all the guys in major league, you know, baseball or all the guys in the NBA and realized that there were very few people who specialized and who made it to the really, truly elite level in team sports. And I think that's the difference. You got to, you know, we're not talking about diving. We're not talking about figure skating. We're not talking about gymnastics. We're talking about in team sport activities. There are going to be very few specialists who end up being the, the truly elite. And and I think that's the important thing. You know, you, 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 your key term was physical literacy. You know, I've been a parent now for not quite five years. And, and my personal goal, Mike, as a parent is I want my kids to be intellectually curious, curious and physically literate, you know, and, and for me, that just means I don't, I don't want them to be burned out by the time they're 14 or 15. So they're, you know, my, my kids coming up on five and we haven't even picked a sport yet. But I tried to get her to the playground for for thirty minutes a day. But just just on that note, I mean, you, you you're you're kind of in the recruiting process. Did you hear Nick Saban a couple of years ago, the head coach of Alabama? Did you hear when he came out and said he's looking to recruit multi sport athletes and not necessarily football players? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that again, I think they showed statistically that uh, in that national championship game, a, a really significant percentage of those guys the last couple of years uh, have been in multi sport athletes. But that's not that's what I'm trying to get people to understand is that's not unusual. Yeah. The, the, is, what, the problem that we have now is we've got these entrepreneurs and they're in hockey, they're in baseball, they're in soccer, at least in our environment. And they're coming into lacrosse who, because their job is year round lacrosse or baseball or soccer, I don't want to pick a particular sport or hockey. They need to get you to play year round so they can work year round. The way to get you to play year-round is to tell you that that's the way to get to the pros. That's the way to get to college. And what I keep trying to tell people is that's not true. The evidence doesn't support the claims of these entrepreneurs, but the parent isn't generally – probably isn't well-read enough or well-versed enough to go and look and realize that, hey, this this isn't actually true. And tons of – like my daughter uh, is a full scholarship hockey player. She'll be a freshman next year. She's 17 years old. She did not play a summer hockey game till she was 13. And everybody used to look at me and say, what are you doing? You know, why can't, why isn't she going to this tournament? Why isn't I said, cause she's going to swim this summer. And that her last summer of swimming, she took up diving and she was the U 12 diver and she did judo and she played soccer. And people were always telling, I used to look at people and say, well, the reality is I said, either, I'm going to be really proud of my daughter when this is all over, which I would have been anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or she'll end up being one of these failed experiments. And the, the reality is I am really proud of her, and she wasn't a failed experiment. She got her sophomore year of high school. She got a full college scholarship to go to – she's going to the number three team in the country, and she's one of the top players in, in her age bracket. But up until 14 – I mean even in 14, she played spring soccer her 14-year-old year. She had one more year of, um, you know, of U14 soccer, and she played in the spring. 
And, and all that stuff. Sorry. So sorry. No, but I, I think all that stuff of getting her into those different sports, and this is important for parents to hear, teaches her different. It teaches her different skills, teaching her different reaction, teaches her different thought processes. So she's not only locked in on hockey, but she knows how to adjust to different variables in different sports. Is that is that do you think been a big reason of her success? Oh, you, yeah, huge reason for success. And you don't end up. The other thing is. You know, you don't end up with the overuse injuries. We didn't have hip problems at 14 because all she'd done was skate year-round. And those it's the same thing with the baseball people. You've got kids – you've got high school kids having Tommy John surgery. That used to be a surgery for aging pitchers. <laughs> now it's a surgery literally for high school kids. Yeah. And, and that, it's going into the draft and who've I, already had Tommy John. No, and I think that's – I think this is – I'm saying on this and we'll, we'll shift off this because I just think it's very important for parents to hear that one of the better things they can do with their kids is try to expose them to many different sports as possible. I mean I, I coach rugby out here and, and you know Sam Barry from Boston and, oh, yeah. and you know Sam has been out here for a few years and, and we, we, we try to tell the parents that, that you know, that, and the parents love rugby because it helps their kids be better football players. And kids that we've seen will go from football to rugby to lacrosse and these kids are getting – we've had kids come out and go to Cal, go to the military academies, go to some big schools to either play football or play rugby. And and, and, it's, and I think it's been – from what I've seen personally, it's, it's been because they have such a multi-sport background and not locked in on any one sport that they've been successful at that. Now, to shift gears real quick, I want to kind of – you know, you, you mentioned you know a couple of things in our just pre, pre-conversation. But since you've been a strength coach for years but you also work with personal trainers – how would you describe the difference between a strength coach and a personal trainer? You know, I don't think there should be as big a difference as there is. I mean, I think a strength coach by nature is limiting themselves to athletes. That's what they're going to do. And, and I think, as you know, the, the evolution sort of is we were strength coaches, then we were strength and conditioning coaches. Now I think we fancy ourselves maybe as performance enhancement specialists. But the basic idea was that as a strength and conditioning professional, I don't work with the general public. Whereas a personal trainer is probably working with the general public. At Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, we will refer to our them as coaches, not as trainers, and they will literally perform both roles. They'll perform strength and conditioning roles in the afternoon with high school and college age kids who are training, and during the day they'll function as a personal trainer. So we in our situation, have people that are actually doing both of those roles. And that's important because you said that, that right now half your business is coming from the non-athletic population. I mean, what, what age group of adults do you work with? Our adults actually probably range from fresh out of college, someone who's 24, 25 years old. I believe our oldest client right now in the groups is probably in, in their 70s and personal training-wise in their 80s. So we literally will span from 11 years old up into the 80s. And and why should why would somebody come? Why would the average adult, if I'm a 40 something, 50 something, you know, guy working an office job, why would an average adult come to somebody like Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning? What would be the benefits of working, you know, from your you know training under your approach to to fitness? Well, I think one of the simplest answer to that is because it makes sense. Life is still. A game in a lot of ways. One of the things I had one of my older clients, very, very wealthy guy, great guy. But one of the things that he said to me after starting to train, quote unquote, like an athlete, meaning that we did things with his lower body and we made him bend his knees and squat and do things like that. He said, you know, getting in and out of sports cars is way easier since I met you. <laughs> right? And he's got a nice collection of sports cars. So you just think, and there's a great, um, Oh, I'm trying to think what her, one of our the girls that works for us did a tremendous video on uh, Instagram, and oh my god, I can't think. I'm going to look it up while I'm talking to you, but it's um, she basically showed the the carryover of things like carrying groceries, picking up kids, um, putting dishes away, and how the exercises, quote unquote, that you would think that we're doing like an athlete would translate directly to that same skill. So when you start thinking about laundry baskets, deadlift, right? I mean bottom line you know picking up a kid curling press you know up over your head putting dishes away up into you know out of the dishwasher and up into a a counter up above your head are our diagonal patterns like our chopping and lifting type patterns so you're going to you know life is not a single joint uniplanar in a machine game so i have no idea when i look at this i don't have any idea why anybody trains that way not just 
mean, if I look, you could say to me, give me any person, okay, they should train under our system. Because in, I would say more than training like an athlete, I would say, why would they be doing what we would call functional training? And it's because functional training makes sense. And that's so what, much of what people do. Like you said, you watch, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but you watch kind of the older person go into the gym and you see this like nonsensical 80s bodybuilding routine of, you know, doing upper body isolation exercises, walking on a treadmill or being on a Stairmaster. And we're just smarter than that now. I just feel like we've gotten so much more intelligent that you look at that and think that doesn't make any sense. Well, and, and I, that's exactly what the, the question I was about to ask you was, do you think that's because a lot of fitness was driven from the 70s and 80s bodybuilder? You know, you had you you had Pumping Iron come out. You had, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone become these huge icons, basically, and they follow a bodybuilding routine. And what's the difference between like a muscle isolation bodybuilding routine and training like an athlete? How would you describe that difference? Well, I think it goes back. You can go back to the sort of basic Vern Gambetta thing of movements, not muscles. So we would look at things and think where somebody might say, I'm going to do chest today. We might say, okay, we're going to do some sort of horizontal pressing exercise. We're going to push something. Someone might say, we're going to do back. I would say, okay, we're going to pull something. So some of it's the terminology. But when you start looking at lower body, it's machines versus free weights. The idea that it's almost, I used to say to people, what we're doing now looks more like what some of the real old timers would recognize as calisthenics. And they'd say, oh, that looks like, oh, we did that in the army or that's our old calisthenic routine. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like it's it's you and your body weight, which is the challenge that you have. Like we think – and I can remember I sort of – I wasn't – let's say I wasn't a kettlebell fan in the beginning. And all of a sudden I'm looking in the kettlebell world and I'm watching – looking at Turkish get-ups and I'm thinking, that's such a stupid exercise. I don't even know what the heck they're doing. And then one day I'm with my same older client, the guy who said he gets in and out of his sports cars better. And one of the things he struggled with most was getting up off the ground. And so I started showing him how to get up off the ground. I said, what you got to do is you got to roll over onto your elbow and then put your hand down and then get up on one knee. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there by myself thinking, I just showed him a Turkish get up. I guess I know why they call it get up at this point and suddenly realize that not only was it not a silly exercise, but gee, it's a pretty important exercise for a person as they age because we almost become ground diverse as we age. The last thing we want to do, like the less bending we can do, the further away from the ground we can be, the better. We're getting higher toilets. I mean, everything's being made higher to avoid having to use our muscles in the way that they're supposed to be used. So it's just, I don't know, as I said, I think the reasoning for is so absolutely positively self-evident, but yet... As you said, we go to the gym and we watch people and we realize that that's well, not the case. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, your point earlier is a, is a coach is trying to sell their sport year-round. Well, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, we got, <laughs> equipment companies came out and said, hey, if you're exercising, you need to exercise this specific muscle. We'll make a sheen for this specific muscle. And what people don't realize is that we're born – you know, with two young kids, I've watched my my kids learn how to roll over, learn how to crawl, learn how to, you know, my conditioning for them was having them crawl up the stairs, you know, to get the motor pattern down. And so I think a lot of people don't realize that once they get older, it's almost like you need to go back to, to being a kid again and crawl on the ground a little bit, climb up things. I think that's been one of the good things about obstacle course racing. So when somebody comes to your facility, Mike, I mean, the biggest benefit that they can get from training with somebody like you is they're going to you know, do get ups. And, and what else do you have people do? I mean, how else do you get people moving? Well, I mean, it's, oh, actually, sorry. It's, if someone wants to look mind or muscle mind movement, Nicole Delagos, if they go look and see her videos, you'll see that video I spoke about. But I mean, we, we do basic stuff. We, we bend over and pick things up. I mean, and it's not, I, what I want people to understand, it's not powerlifting. We're not trying to, like, I don't care. I get to a certain point. There's a lot of unilateral training. There's a lot of things done on one leg different variations of one leg squats, different variations of what we would call one leg straight leg deadlifts, which some people might call a golfer's lift. If you can imagine trying to pick the ball out of the tee, that's sort of one, you know, standing on one leg, reaching down with one hand or not out of the tee, but out of the cup, excuse me, showing my lack of golf knowledge. But, um, and just the idea of, of pushing and pulling, being able to do a push up, being they're just, it's simple stuff that's put together in well thought out sort of, 
I don't know whether we want to use the word progressions, but put together in kind of in the right bunches, in the right order. And it's it's foam rolling, it's stretching, it's dynamic warm up, it's it's the proper conditioning. There's the whole I think formula, or I like to refer to it. I always talk about it as a recipe because I like I I think I like analogies and I like to make the distinction between recipes and menus. And I always said training can't be a menu. You can't go in and pick the stuff that you like. Training has to be a recipe, which means you have to do it in set order, certain amounts, exactly the way that you cook food. You can't go in and say I'm going to triple the amount of something that's going into this recipe and then not expect it to negatively affect the end product. In the same way, you can't say, I'm going to change the order in which I do these and put the ingredients in. Because again, you're going to negatively affect the outcome of the product, the food. And training is the exact same way. So we've got a very distinct sequence recipe that we want somebody to follow. And a lot of that is based on is based on neural patterning, like how the brain determines movement patterns. And Mike, you just I've used the chef in line cook analogy for years. Like a good trainer, a good instructor is like a chef. You can give them any piece of equipment or any you know any variable, and they can create a workout out of it. Whereas you know somebody who's brand new is like a line cook, and you need to give them the recipe to follow. But I love that analogy that you just made. You just took that analogy and took it a few steps beyond. I mean, do you see that happening in the fitness industry, though? Do you see the difference between preparing chefs and preparing line cooks? Oh, all the time. I mean, and we try to – not even as much preparing them as knowing who you are. And I think that's a big sports analogy is you know your role. Know who you are. Know where you are. Don't think you're a chef when you're a line cook. And I think that's our biggest problem in the fitness industry is we've got all these – all these guys who should be working at McDonald's who think they're at the Four Seasons. And and that's where the problem lies because you've got people who really aren't prepared. They don't have the background to do what they're attempting to do. And there's nothing wrong, and I think and I think we can agree on this, there's absolutely nothing wrong for being a line cook for a year or two. The best chefs started out chopping vegetables, right? I mean they started out doing the food prep. And right, everybody it, should. That's the way it should work. I don't know how I don't know if there's another process. And, and, and so, it's the same with being a trainer. I don't know how you learn to be a trainer without being that first-year trainer. The difference for us, whether we're calling them trainers or coaches, is that we're really trying to put them into an educational system where they're going to learn to be better. And I think that's where a lot of the failing is, is in, in some of the general health club environment. You can get a person, guy or girl, who can pass a weekend test, and then if they look good – they were kind of blessed with good genetics. They can start passing themselves off as a trainer and start telling people. I had a guy, this is no lie, someone told me yesterday about a relative of theirs who had told this trainer at a big, uh, one of these very, very high-end chains that he wanted to climb Mount Everest. And he was trained as a climber, all upper body climbing. This guy didn't even realize that he wasn't going to climb. Like he literally thought the trainer thought the guy was going to climb Mount Everest. Hmm. Like that it was a mountain face that he was going up like Stallone in that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, actually he's walking most of the way. He's, mountain climbing is like <laughs> maybe not exactly descriptive of what this guy was going to do. But the trainer didn't even know that. And when the guy came back, he had, he had struggled and he had trouble. And he talked to somebody else and he was like, yeah, we didn't do much lower body. We did a lot of upper body, a lot of pulling, a lot of climbing stuff. And it was like, like you actually thought you were climbing Mount Everest. I mean, that's a frightening <laughs> thought process. Well, it, it, it just, it goes into, if I ever had anybody come to me that, you know, I had a friend who I'm giving some consulting to who's trying to get back into throwing the javelin in her 40s. And I can't tell you, Mike, I probably spent an hour, maybe two hours watching javelin videos on YouTube to get an idea of what the freaking motion was before I could even have a conversation with her to say, hey, here's what I think you need to be working on. You know, I mean, I just, it's, it blows my mind with with how people are exposed to that. How do you think if, if I'm a brand new, if I just get out of school, if I if I graduate with my degree and I come to you and, and, and I'm lucky enough to get an internship or get hire, hired by Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, how do you prep your trainers? How do you how do you get your, your, your staff to go from a trainer to a to a coach? Well, the number one way that we do it is they have to actively participate in the workouts so that so when you do the internship, you do our summer internship. You train four days a week on the program that the athletes do. That's number one because I think we put a huge emphasis on 
You need to be proficient at everything. You don't have to be strong, but you've got to be able to do everything because so many of our learners now are visual and you've got to be able to provide that person with a really good demonstration. A, a do this. We go back to like John Wooden teaching, if you've ever read any books on John Wooden, but Wooden is famous for what they would call do this, not that, this. And Wooden would demonstrate what he wanted you to do. He would then demonstrate what the mistake would be. He would then demonstrate again what he wanted you to do. They tell you, if you read Talent Code, they talk about that a lot in Talent Code to the point where they actually went so far as to refer to it just as a Wooden. You know, because they were trying to, to write down what he was doing when they were observing him. And after a while, they would just write down wooden, 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 where they basically, that was him demonstrating always in this sequence, always, usually five seconds, but always under 30 seconds of do this, not this, this. And that's what we try to get our coaches to understand that, okay, here's the way you teach. Do this, not this, this. And then we also try to make them, we have a system of regressions and we teach them this system of regressions and of progressions, but the regressions are actually more important initially than the progressions in terms of, okay, here's where you go if the person cannot do what you want them to do. And now for people listening, you know, they might, who might not have heard of you before, Mike, um, Mike has been a, a lecturer for more than 20 years in fitness and I've heard him talk. I can't, can't say how many times I've heard you speak over the years, Mike. And, and I love what you said about regressions because that's one thing I come to quite a bit when I teach workshops and, and when I teach, you know, when I'm trying to teach the new trainers is I think the better trainers are the ones, what you just said, that can look in an exercise. Okay, let me break that down into its individual components and teach you how to do it one by one. I think I think trainers get caught up in this idea of I have to have you work hard. I'm not necessarily train you how to work smart. So thinking about that and with what you just described, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, I want to hire a trainer myself, what would your recommendation be? I mean, obviously not everybody can commute to Woburn Mass and, and train with your team, but if someone, someone's going to be looking for a trainer and, and wants to get the benefits of working with a trainer, what would you what would you recommend being a couple questions? Well, we have our, started our own certification, Certified Functional Strength Coach, so you could look for someone who's taken this CFSC course. And actually, I think the website is certified – FSC, so the word certified FSC, all, all one word, uh, dot com. And there's actually a locator map on there that will tell you if there's somebody in your area that has actually passed this test. If I couldn't find that person, I would probably look for someone who'd taken the NASM, uh, at least their basic certification, if not their performance enhancement specialist, because I would consider that to be maybe the second best. I know now the ACE one has gotten much better, you know. But I, I'd be leery if they're not in that top tier of certs. I'd be really leery of those people if they have a cert that you've never heard of. That's usually going to be a bad thing. And and, and that's it, it, sorry, it's easier to research the certs. And I think because a lot of people could benefit from working working with a trainer to at least get them moving moving in the right direction, not exercising, but moving in the right direction. Would you well, agree? and also if you think about working with a trainer. One of the things, and I, again, another one of my, I've been very lucky to have some extremely bright, successful clients. One of my other clients said to me one time, we were talking about the process and he said, he looked at me cause he was training with me a couple days a week and he was doing Tai Chi and he has a massage therapist who comes in and works on him and he plays tennis and he has a tennis coach. And he looked at me, he said, Mike, he said, everyone's going to spend money on their health. They just have to decide when. And I use that sales pitch all the time with people because I'll get people Oh, you know, I'm not going to hire a trainer. I'm like, why not? You're going to spend the money eventually. It might be doctor's bills. As he said, it might be doctor's bills. It might be a great nursing home. It might be a kick-ass casket. But eventually you will spend the money. And if you're a person, again, in that 30-plus age group who's got the means, why would you not do it? Now the other thing, though, is there's some great group training that's out there. As long as you stay away from it, I hate to say it because I'll probably get myself in trouble again. Stay away from any place that says CrossFit on the door and, and go and look at some of these better group situations. I don't love the chains. I'm not an Orange Theory for person. I'm not a CrossFit person. But I do think there are some people doing a great job with group training that's at a much more affordable rate with someone now. Now you're looking at getting in at 20 bucks an hour. And, and in a situation I, where somebody like you look at like what Alan Cosgrove, what results fitness does, what some of these people do, and and you can really get great quality training 
for not a lot of money the way the industry is moving right now. And I, and I think the big thing for that, if people are going to go look at group training, is look for a place that's going to put you through sort, some sort of foundational course, some sort of like, hey, this you are a beginner. This is an introductory level course. And that's, that's, for, the, that's for the person's benefit. They should learn how to move properly. They should learn, learn how to do a squat, learn how to do a hip hinge, learn how to do an overhead press properly before being released into the wild of, of the daily workout. Is that kind of how you guys do things uh, at, at your program? Yeah, we have our, our basic program is the same. Everybody who starts starts in the same basic program. And I think, yeah, that's it. But the other thing is go watch and watch and see is it – I always think you know there's, there's things that you can look at right away and know you're in the wrong place. One, if you see anybody doing a burpee, you're in the wrong place. Okay, that to me is the world's dumbest exercise. I can't even understand what the purpose of it is except to maybe make people's wrists sore. But if you go there and you you know you see horrible technique and no coaching, guess what? It's horrible technique and no coaching. You don't have to be real smart to realize, okay, I gotta move on to the next place. If you go someplace and see something that's kind of really slow and thoughtful and people are coaching and saying, Nope, I want you to do this, again, this idea, do this, not this. And they're we're walking around and they're working with people. Then you can think, okay, this might be the right place. But you know, and then it's it's not hard. There's so much. I was talking to um, Hank Krajinov, who's a Dutch sprint coach, who's going to come over and talk at our seminar in a couple in a month. And it, we were talking about the, one of our favorite quotes, both of us, is the idea that common sense is not very common. And I think in fitness, it's even less common. In that you can have some really super intelligent people who will not use their common sense when it comes to fitness, which I find intriguing, if nothing else. But No, I've seen that for years in health clubs. These are people that are very successful in the daily world, yet they walk into a health club and all of a sudden it's like they left their brains in the locker along with their their you know their work clothes and they just don't seem to be along with their sleeves. <laughs> yeah, that that mindful about it. Well, what's something before we wrap up here? What's something that somebody could be doing right now to be um, to work on improving their fitness? I mean, without if if people are listening to this and going, okay, I want to you know I want to do something, be a little bit better, or change my workout up. What's like one thing that somebody could start doing? That on a daily basis, it's going to all of a sudden improve their overall fitness level. Read. <laughs> I like that. And what, and what would you recommend? I mean, obviously, uh, I would recommend New Functional Training for Sports by Mike Boyle, which just came out in May, actually. Shameless plug for myself. But it's a really good book, to be very, very honest. But I would say I always recommend people to the original core performance, Mark Verstegen's first book. Really, really good in terms of like the basic primer on how to get this stuff done right. I think there's been a couple, not very many of these good books, but for so many people, it's just that that basic, okay, develop some understanding. You know, uh, in some of the, the mainstream magazines, Men's Health is doing a really good job now with good mainstream articles that aren't like lose inches in 10 days or get bigger biceps or improve your bench. There's the quality even in like that whole group like Self and some of those has really improved. So you can read magazines now, which before I would have told you were absolute garbage 10 years ago, and now you can get some pretty good fitness information. But it's, it's again, it's the common sense stuff. It's realizing that, okay, I walk on my legs. I walk on one leg at a time. That should lead me to some thoughts about training. Okay, maybe I'll train my legs and I'll train them one leg at a time. You know, I'm not – I don't sit down for a living – so I won't sit down while I work out. Um, or maybe I do sit down for a living and I won't sit down while I work out. But don't sit down while you work out because sitting down is not working out. If, if the exercise involves you being in some sort of chair-like apparatus, it's not good. Again, your common sense should look at you and say, okay, if I'm sitting in like – I'm in a recliner right now as I talk to you. If I'm in something in the gym that looks like or feels like a recliner, it's probably not a very good exercise machine. <laughs> but it was designed by someone – who wants me to think like it's like people say I, I do this sitting down bike and I'm like that's even worse than the regular bike you know and I'm not I love the regular bike for most people but the sitting down bike is a really stupid idea it's like stupid times two and so I think anytime you think like people say oh I do you know leg press I can use more weight it's easier that should be a big red flag okay you can use more weight it's easier don't do that the other thing in this uh, the last piece of advice do the opposite 
go to the gym, watch what everybody else does, and then don't do that. So if you go in there and think, okay, everybody's in there looking at themselves, working on their arms and their chest. All right, I'm going to not look at myself and work on my back. Nobody's doing any lower body exercises. Okay, I'm going to do some of those. Nobody's running on the treadmill. I think I'll run on the treadmill and not walk. Right? I mean, literally just do the opposite of what everybody says. And you'd probably be way closer than you would be by following the crowd. I'm sorry I'm laughing because that's like getting fitness advice from George Costanza. You know, George yeah. Costanza had that episode. I'm just going to do the opposite of my first, you know, of my first uh, thought. You know, everything is going to be the opposite. Well, I love that, Mike. And I, and I think people can hear uh, your passion and your knowledge come through. And, and the final thing, and then we'll, we'll hit your books again. But the final thing is one of the things that I think has earned you a lot of respect is the fact, and you said this earlier about the Turkish getup is that you have often said that you're wrong and you reserve the right to change change your mind. How do you think this has set you apart from other people in our field? Um, I think it's set me apart for exactly that reason in the sense that I, I don't mind being wrong. I actually – I always say to people, being wrong is indicative of learning. When you can look at somebody and say, I changed my mind – that generally means that you either listen to somebody or read a book. Those are both good things. So I never, I say, I'm never going to defend changing my mind. I'm not going to defend learning to somebody. I'm not going to defend the process of trying to get smarter to somebody. And then I'm not going to defend the process of then trying to pass that information on to my clients. And I think so many people are afraid to look stupid. And I just wrote an article on my strengthcoach.com site where I basically, it's, you know, I said you can either, you have two choices, and one is to be stupid. The other is to remain stupid. And if you don't ask the question, then you've chosen being stupid. Because you know, by looking, people, I don't want to look dumb. Well, if you don't want to look dumb, you're going to remain dumb. So you only got two choices here. You can either be stupid or look stupid. Make up your mind. And I think that's where people get screwed up. I don't mind. I've sat in front of Stuart McGill and raised my hand and said, Stuart, I don't, I don't understand what you mean by that. And I don't do it so that people will look at me and think, oh, wow, Mike Boyle sat in the front row and asked McGill questions. I do it because I want to know. And I know he's smarter than me. And when you know there's people smarter than you around, you go and you listen to them. And when you don't understand what they're saying, you ask them questions. And, I mean, that's how the best got there. Very few people were born into it. And actually, I think that's a good lesson for, you know, given given that uh, given the political climate, I think that's a good lesson for everything, not just in the fitness industry is to, to ask questions. So, Mike, I really appreciate your time. It's Mike Boyle from Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. Mike, what are your websites? And do you do do you have online coaching? I know you have some online education, but do you have an <laughs> online coaching? We have online education. We have online coaching. Exercise.com has online programs. So if somebody wanted to get a program, they could go to exercise.com and search Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning and all actually all of our programs are up there for sale now. Oh, that's awesome. We, yeah. We've we've done that. Because one of the things we've realized is that it, it's sort of, and it just goes back, sorry to keep dragging this out, but kind of it goes back to like the abundance mentality. I'm not afraid for people to have our programs. I'm not worried. Said, unless you decide to come to Woburn Mass and open up next to me, I'm really not worried about whether or not you have the same programming that I have. Well, and even if you did, I'm not really worried about it, but but I think some people are so worried about sort of keeping secrets and doing all these things. But so for us, what we've got to think about is it stuff's online. Strengthcoach.com is the website now where I spend the majority of my time. So people can, you know, you want to ask questions, you can join strengthcoach.com. I'm answering questions every single day on that site. And then obviously I've got the new book out, which is called New Functional Training for Sports, which you can get if you just type in New Functional Training for Sports on Amazon. It'll pop right up there for about 19 bucks and you can buy yourself a copy. I have it right here, and it's uh, it's actually being advertised for just about sixteen. And for listeners, I'll have a link to that because it is just if, for people that that might be a little intimidated. Mike's information. I have a number of your books, Mike, and they're straight to the point, and you don't need to have a degree in the field to really understand them to understand how you can move better and change your workout program. Well, Mike, I really appreciate your time today, and I really appreciate what you do and the impact that you're having on our, our business. So uh, with that, I say thanks, and I look forward to seeing you sometime in the uh, near future. All right. Thanks, Pete. I'm gonna... Wow. As you can see, uh, Mike Boyle is, is a guy who, A, really knows his stuff, and B, doesn't mess around and cuts rights to the chase. 
So I, I don't know about you, but I'm really charged up. You know, from talking about youth sports, from talking about youth conditioning, to you know, discussing how we could be training better, and, and why it's important. I want you to think about training movement patterns. We're meant to move. Our bodies are designed to move. You know, if we train one muscle group at a time or one joint at a time, we'll end up moving like robots. We don't want to do that. We want to move like athletes. I don't care if you haven't played a sport for 50 years. You should still be training like an athlete. Anyway, you can do a search on Amazon. You can search on Amazon for Mike Boyle. I'll have a couple of links to his uh, most recent book down below. I also have a link to his um, exercise.com. If you go to exercise.com and type in Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, you'll find pre-programmed workouts that you can download and use on your own. My goal here on All About Fitness is, as a fitness educator, as a college professor, as someone who's helped write a couple personal training textbooks, I want to help you learn how to get the best exercise program to get the most out of your life. I'm not going to be bringing on anybody who isn't worth your time listening to. I have good relationships, and I can get in touch with some of the best educators, some of the best coaches, some of the best trainers in the world. And I mean that. It's not to, to, to pump my own steam or whatever, but I've been in this business for almost 20 years, and, and I've been cultivating relationships. And what I'm trying to do with this podcast is bring that information to you. When we travel around and we give workshops, we give presentations, you know, we, we, in the evening we have dinner, we get together, we talk about a lot of the same stuff. We have a lot of these same conversations. So what I'm trying to do in all, the All About Fitness podcast is share that information with you so you can learn how to use exercise to achieve your best life. The thing is, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you, start, if you follow Mike Boyle's advice and you start training like an athlete, I guarantee you that exercise will start slowing down the aging process. That's right. The right exercise program can slow down the aging process. You know, we can't help you turn younger. You've got to go see Doc Brown and, and develop the flux capacitor to, to actually turn back the clock. Um, that's not possible. But it, what is completely possible, what the evidence tells us, is that the right exercise program, the right movement-based exercise program, at the right intensity, the right frequency, with the right rest, the right nutrition, the proper sleep, that will help slow down the aging process, help you take control of the aging process. You know, we're not getting any younger, but what we can do is control how the aging process affects us. And that's all I'm trying to do with All About Fitness. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy it, please give us a rating. And please keep in mind that every month I'll be pulling names of people who give ratings, and you'll be receiving either a T-shirt or a prize from one of the sponsors. Thanks a lot, and look forward to having you join me for a future episode of All About Fitness. All About Fitness.